Ecclesiastes chapter 11. The wisest man who ever lived. Who was that? Solomon. Yes, it was Solomon. And Solomon was a king. And Solomon had a gift. He asked God. God asked him. When he built the temple, God said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want you to give me knowledge, and I want you to give me understanding, and I want you to give me wisdom. Wow. In fact, in the book of James, the Bible said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord. So then wisdom comes from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. I'll give you a chance to find that a little bit. No, it's not over in Galatians or Colossians. You're going the wrong way. Go back in the Old Testament to the poetry books. When you get to Psalms and Proverbs, you're getting close. Right after Jeremiah. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5 and 6. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall all alike be good. The breath of God. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to preach. And I expected a challenge when I came to this pulpit this morning. Because I know that when your word is concerned, our adversary fights a battle to keep us from receiving the engrafted word of God because it's life-changing and life-altering. It's medicine for our sickness. It's health for our, our weariness. It's encouragement for our depression. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch me. For except you touch me, I cannot preach. And except you touch me, these people cannot be blessed. And they will leave here unchanged. I pray, God, that you will change us this morning through this preaching event. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. On your way down, shake hands with your neighbor and say, I'm glad to sit by you today. Don Maddox told me about a visit he made with Martha Cadle this week. And he said, uh, Martha asked him, said, uh, Don, how long has Brother, Brother, Brother Irwin been at harvest? He said, 33 years. She said, my God. said, he's bound to be getting tired of that place by now. <laughs> well, I'm not tired of this place. I'm thankful that God gave us this place. I was talking with an elderly lady not long ago, and she had COPD. And she looked at me and she said, You know, preacher, said you need to whip you up a good sermon about breathing. I said, Is that right? She said, Yep. Because if you ain't got breathing, you ain't got nothing. Well, that's, I guess, an accurate calculation about breathing. This writing of, of Solomon in this ecclesiastical review tells us about how that the miracle and the mystery of life comes about in the mother's womb. 
he tells us that there we know, don't know. Both verses, 5 and 6, he tells us, Thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit. There are scientists that can tell us that a cell splits and then one is joined to the other and, and something mysterious takes place and then, then we are a, a, a being and at some point the evolutionists say we stood upright and stopped uh, uh, hunching over and that we stood upright and eventually de- developed uh, our brain and started thinking and uh, we're, we're here today. And that's the evolutionist stuff, and that's what he wants us to believe, and I have trouble believing that. I'd rather believe what God says about creation, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that on the sixth day God made man in his own image, and in the image and likeness of God created he him. That's the biblical explanation for how this thing came into being. Twice in those verses he said, we don't know. You see, when a seed is planted, a plant or flesh, there has to be a moment of fertilization. In a human pregnancy, there is an anatomical moment when life is conceived. And we don't know how flesh and bones grow or how the spiritual nature of that formation occurs, but we do know that life is a gift of God, that God gives life. The uwa is a name that is for Uh, the Spirit, and it also means breath. Isn't that interesting that the breath of God and the Spirit of God are the same word, ooh-ah, the same word. So then God's Spirit comes upon us through His breathing upon us. That ooh-ah means that the Spirit is life-giving. You may be here this morning with a lifeless situation. You may have brought some dead things in your life into this service this morning. You may have come here with dreams that have been dashed and you may have come here with promises that have been unfulfilled. You may have come here with expectations that were unrealized. You may have come to this service today empty and void and don't really relate to this thing about God breathing. Well, I want to tell you, until God breathes upon you, there will never be dreams realized and there will never be hopes and there will never be plans and there will never be purpose experienced until God's Spirit is joined to your dead situation. Your dead situation will come to life when God's Spirit is breathed upon you. You see, when God made man, Genesis 2 and 7 The the Bible said, And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In other words, God made man, shaped him, and then God breathed into man the breath of life. Isn't that great? That God is the one. You know, I'm getting very weary of apologizing for our Christian view of creation. I'm getting very, very tired with feeling like we're dumb and stupid and ignorant because we believe that God shaped man out of the dust of the earth. Hey, God breathes on dirty things. I said God breathes on dirty things. God shaped some dirt and then God breathed upon that dirt And that dirt came alive and lived as a praise and an honor unto God. 
Hallelujah. Now that tells me that no matter what you brought to this service today, if it's grief, if it's sorrow, if it's discouragement, if it's the loss of someone that you cared about, if it's a relationship that broke up, if it's something of that nature, if it's a loss that you've incurred, if it's an illness that you can't seem to shake and can't seem to get well, if there are problems that just won't go away and you just seem to be stuck in a dead situation and you don't know how that's ever going to work out. But I'll tell you, when you stop looking to other places and start looking to God and His Word, you'll find out that God breathes upon dead things and brings it back to life. God can take the deadness and use that as an opportunity to bring life into something you thought he could never, ever resurrect. He can resurrect things that you thought were gone forever. He can bring back to life things that you thought were never going to be a part of your life ever again. You may have given up and thrown away some things because you lost hope in that situation ever getting better. You know, sometimes we look at things and we think, well, that's never going to happen. I need to just man up and just throw that away and quit, quit worrying with that. You know what I found? I found that when you give up on a situation is usually when God comes in and helps that situation. Have you discovered that? I have. I, I, I know several people that God's answered prayers for them when they thought the thing was totally lost and never going to happen. Never going to happen. But when you get to the point that you realize that life is in God and that when God breathes upon, when His Spirit comes into a situation, He can turn that situation around and make it for good. He really can. Well, God, in this instance of, of birth, isn't it wonderful that when God blesses a family with children. We come around here and dedicate these children. But something we don't know happens in the womb of a mother that we can trace it back to matter and cells and anatomical connection. But who, who makes that all happen? Why does that happen? A scientist has to scratch his head then and say, I don't know. I don't know why that happens. It happens because there is a God in heaven that gives life. There is a God in heaven that makes things work for good. Isn't it wonderful that that, that first breath, when we all sit around the, the bed and when our wife, Debbie, having children, I, I sat there and, and waited to hear that sound. Do you know that sound? It's that sound when that, that doctor takes that child and, and spanks or whatever he does and it catches its breath. It starts doing something on its own that had always been done for it. Some of you in this service today need a birthing in the Spirit. Some of you need to expect God to do something for you today that you can do what You've depended on somebody else to do for you for so long. You, you've been kind of inactive and you haven't been in, in, in exposed. You've been kind of hidden away. And now it's time for that birthing. It's time now 
for you to do what God intended for you to do. It's time now for you to be what God intended for you to be. It's time for you to come out of obscurity. It's time for you to catch your breath and start doing for yourself what you've depended on somebody else to do for you all along. I hear people say all the time, well, I pay my tithe, we pay the preacher, he's supposed to do that. No, that's not the way that works. God did not create you so that you could be a liability. God created you to be an asset in the kingdom of God. God created you to have potential. There's potential because God has called you to catch your breath. Amen. When that child comes out and you hear that, wah, wah. And I want to tell you about the first 15 seconds of that is joy unspeakable. But what you don't know is that's going to last probably about 18 years. What you thought was so joyous at that birthing event, that, that excitement, that zeal, and that enthusiasm, I want to tell you there will come a time when you'll put cotton in your ears to keep from hearing it. Lord, Brian had some kind of situation called night terrors. I don't know if you know anything about that. We finally found a pediatrician that had a child that had night terrors, and it's when they get suspended between being awake and being asleep. They're caught somewhere in between. And when they get like that, they don't know who you are. They will fight their mother and fight their dad because they're not awake enough and they're not asleep enough. They're caught and they all, all they know is terror and all they know is fear. Come on, somebody. I wonder if God has got some children that have night terrors. I wonder if God's got some children sitting here in this room that's kind of caught in between. You're not really awake and you're not really asleep. You're not resting, but you're not realizing what's going on around you. All you know is you're terrorized and you're frightened and you're fearful and you're frustrated and you don't know which way to turn. You don't have any, any kind of reason about you to figure it out. And all you know is fear and anxiety. Come on, somebody. And I've, we finally found a pediatrician that said, when he gets like that, said, just put him in the shower and turn the water on. What? Who would want to be put in a shower and turn cold water on you in the middle of the night? Well, see, God sometimes has to take drastic measures to get you out of that vacuum of not knowing what, who you are and fighting against people. A lot of people, when they get caught twixt and tween, and they're not really awake, but they're not really asleep, they start fighting everybody around them. You mean, Pastor, it's possible for somebody to get caught 
and not really have their bearings and not have their, their mental focus? You mean people can get to where they just are existing and they know they're existing but they feel threatened and they start fighting everything and everybody all around? Do you know anybody that fights everybody? Lord, look at the heads nodding all over this place. I didn't think there'd be that many. Fight. Angry. And then when they wake up, they grab you and hug you and love you. Come on, somebody. Sometimes when we wake up and realize we were caught in a night terror, then we realize that, hey, I, I wasn't really in reality. I wasn't really seeing things as I really ought to see it. God loves us so much that when we're caught twixt and tween, what you thought was a trial and a severe frustration God saw as an opportunity to wake you up. Wow. When he said, when you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. There have been a lot of situations that I asked somebody the other day, I believe it was Debbie was cooking some dumplings. And I, I said, how are you going to know when those things get done? She said, well, it's too soon to tell. I said, too soon to tell? Yeah, you got to wait until that process happens and those, that dough starts swelling. And I said, so then there's no certain science to this thing. She said, no, you don't know. You just know when they, they're done. Well, could it be that what you're going through that you want to throw away, but it's too soon to tell? Could it be that you have not rightly understood what's going on and it's too soon to tell whether you ought to throw it away and give up on it or not? Maybe it's too soon to tell. Oh, that's a great sermon. Too soon to tell. Because I don't know, and because I don't know, I can't make a judgment about that. Wouldn't it be good if we would wait on God and find out what God is doing and then allow His Spirit, His breath, to lead us and guide us and direct us? Turn to Acts chapter 9. Got it? You holler got it when you got it, and I'll preach it. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. What is it about, Pastor? It's about Paul's conversion. It talks about Paul getting saved on the road to Damascus. It talks about that first verse said, and Paul yet breathing. Get that? Breathing out what? Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, 
he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he was breathing. One thing about breathing is it gives you opportunity to form sounds. That God designed you with vocal cords and what's called your larynx. And that as that breath passes through those cords and you form syllables, you can communicate. So breathing then allows us to say things. Good things, bad things. Happy things, sad things. Blessing things, cursing things. And all comes from breath, breathing. In other words, here's a man that is using the gift of God to breathe, which means life, and he's using that to empower him to persecute and kill, and the Bible said slaughter, slaughter Christians. And yet he's still going about that task. For while he was on his way, while he was breathing out threatenings and was carrying out those malicious deeds to try his best to destroy people, God did something marvelous for him. A bright light shined upon him, fell off of this beast and fell to the ground. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Whom thou persecuting. Next verse. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you are to do. You got a destiny. And God called him a chosen vessel. You mean God can make a chosen vessel out of people who breathe out cursings and abominable things? Get up and go to the city. Next verse. The men traveling with Saul stood, they're speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anybody. Next verse. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand. Who did they lead him to? They led him to a man named Ananias. Ananias was a, a prophet. Ananias was a man of God. And God said to Ananias, he said, I'm sending somebody to you. His name is Saul, and he's from Tarsus. Ananias said, oh, Oh, we know him. He's got a reputation. He hates Christians. He puts Christians in jail. He kills them. He murders Christian families. He hates Christians. And God said, yes, but I have got a work for him to do. Paul later said, I wasted the church of God beyond measure. I hated the church. I, I worked against the church. You mean God can, by his breath, can breathe upon a person and that person can be changed? I believe at salvation, God breathes upon a person. I believe that at conversion. I believe when you get saved, that it is a work of the Holy Spirit because no man calleth Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. No man or woman. 
And the Bible tells us that except the Spirit of God draws a person, they can't be saved. And the Bible says this, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And remember now that spirit and breath are the same word. Ooh-ah. So then when a person gets saved, it is a spiritual thing that takes place because God breathes upon them. Wow. Wow. In one instance, the Bible said, and he breathed upon them and they received the Holy Ghost. He breathed upon them and they received the Holy Ghost. I believe that wind that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 in the upper room, the Bible said they were all assembled in one mind in one accord and suddenly, suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty Wind. Wind is air in motion. Wind is breath in motion. Glory to God. What was going on in that upper room when that 120 received the Holy Spirit? That wind, that suddenly, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house. Brother, there came a breath of God so powerful that it engulfed the whole house. Everybody in the house felt that breath of God. Because it doesn't say that any of the 120 resisted against that spirit. Not one of the 120 said, I don't understand this. I'm not, I'm not going to get in this uh, movement until I understand. No, all 120 at one time, and they all, all, all received that, that breath of God, that, that spirit rushing in upon them. One final one, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Come on, Victor, and help me quit. Ezekiel 37 and 1. God is taking inventory of his people. God is evaluating his people. Listen to what he says. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel, and carried me out in the spirit and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of dry bones. Wow. A valley of dry bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. It wasn't enough just to say they were dry bones. They needed an adverb there to tell you how dry they were. Very dry. I wonder if God evaluates his people if he ever evaluates us. I wonder what his meter would read this morning. He said those bones were very dry. And he said to me, ask him a question. Listen to what he said. Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord, you know that. 
I'm not the one that can determine whether they can live or not because I'm not the one that gives life. I'm not the one that created these bones and the flesh and blood that once was upon these bones. These bones are skeletons. These bones are speaking of something that used to be. These bones are telling a story of, of a tragedy that occurred and every one of them in this place are all just a form of what they used to be. Just a hint at what they used to have. Well, God is asked the question, you know, Lord, I, I, I'm not the one to answer because I'm not the life giver. You know. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Lord, you know. Again, he said to me, then get up and preach upon these bones. Preach. Get up and prophesy to these bones. You see, all in the world that preaching is, is prophesying. Some of us are the mistaken idea that prophecy only involves something in the future. But prophecy is foretelling as well as foretelling. You didn't get that? No sabi? No comprende? Preaching is foretelling. It's taking the scriptures and it's explaining the scriptures to you. Prophecy is foretelling in that it predicts some occurrence or event that's going to happen in the future. So prophecy has a dualism about it. One is foretelling, the other is foretelling. If you got it, say got it. All right, then you know what we're doing here this morning then. We're not talking about a future event. We're talking about what the scripture says. Listen to what it said. And again, he said to me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you. I will bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Wow. You mean it's in the desire in the heart of God that people should know that he is the Lord and know that he is God and that he is uh, sovereign and that he has all power? You mean God has a desire in his heart for people to know that? And that God would say to some bones that they don't, those bones don't have a brain. They don't have any kind of muscular strength, so they can't move. They can't do anything. They don't have a tongue, so they can't say anything. They don't have an ear, so they can't hear anything. So get up and prophesy to these bones. A lifeless, dead assemblage of the structure of what used to be. What does that tell me? That tells me that some of you today need to start preaching. Some of you need to look at the situation that is so dead that is causing you so much pain and you need to preach to that situation.
And if you want to be a Pentecostal preacher, you need to point your finger at it. You got to learn how to do that. If you'll look at that situation that's causing you so much terror, point your finger at it and say, you listen to me. I know what's motivating and driving you and it's a spirit from the devil. And in Jesus' name, I take authority over that spirit that causes you to act like you're acting and be what you're being. And in Jesus' name, I take authority over that situation. And in Jesus' name, today is the day and now is the time that it's going to stop. Well, Brother Jerry, my finances can't hear me. You want me to preach to my checkbook? That'd be a good place to start. Oh, thou checkbook full of all kind of excuses. Thou checkbook that has no profession of any kind of value. I speak to you in the name of Jesus. I wonder what that little woman thought when she went in there and she had one more drop of oil in the cruise and the man out in the yard said, go fix me a cake. And she walked in there and looked at such a little, little provision. She said, well, said, being as you ask, I'm going to do that for you. And when she obeyed, I believe she walked in there and she looked at that old drop or two of oil in that cruise, said, you may be little, but there's a preacher outside that says you'll never wear out, you'll never give out. There'll always be a drop or two or three of oil in this cruise. That preacher in the yard out there says to you old meal barrel that there'll be some meal in you that you'll not sit there empty like that. That oil cruise, you'll not sit there empty and void, but as long as I need for you to bring me food, there'll be oil in you cruise. There'll be meal in that barrel, and in Jesus' name, I declare it. Brother Jerry, do you believe that works in real life? A sister told me this week, she said, I was trying to get to work. She said, my old car's been giving me so much trouble and wouldn't crank. She said, I went out there in the cold Wednesday morning to go to work. I got to work. She said, I got out there and it went, I said, Helen, what'd you do? She said, I got out of that car, put my hand on that fender. And I said, God, in Jesus' name, I need this car. You give me, the Bible said, every good thing. So God, you've given it to me, and it now needs to be fixed. And in Jesus' name, God, I ask you to touch this car and let it crank so I can get to work. And you want to hear the end of the story? Ready to go. You gotta be kidding me, Pastor. You gotta be kidding me. You mean cars and meal barrels and egg crates and oil? You can pray and preach to such as that? If my Heavenly Father, 
sent his son to this earth. And his earth looked up at the wind and said, when you stop blowing. And our heavenly father sent his son to this earth. And uh, his son stood up and said, waves, you stop raging and you be calm. If God can speak to inanimate objects, God can help us who are breathed upon by his power and spirit to speak to whatever you desire and it shall be done. In fact, you can preach to a mountain if you want to. The Bible said, say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it shall be as you have said. When God breathes on you, You've never lived till you've lived with the breath of God in your life. You've never worshiped until you've worshiped with the breath of God in your life. You've never been happy like you'll be happy when you get the breath of God in your life. Wow. Thus says the Lord of these bones, I'm going to cause you to live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. God said to me, preach to these bones. Bless God, I got on me a rock and started preaching to bones. Brother Irwin, that is foolishness. The Bible said unto the world and to unbelievers, preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to we which are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Oh, my brother, my sister, let me tell you, when you preach the life-giving power of God's Word, then the breath of God accompanies His Word because where the Word of God goes forth, the breath of God follows His Word. Mm. I prophesied, and there was a noise. I started preaching, and there was a noise. There was a noise. Wah, wah. And behold, next there was a shaking, and those bones became coming together. They wasn't just a pile of bones. They orderly came bone to bone and returned back to the way they were supposed to be. They wasn't just a pile of deadness and dryness, but suddenly they had some order, had some order. Bone came to his bone. And I beheld, and lo, the sinews and flesh came upon those bones, and the skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. No breath, structure, form, but no breath. That's the condition of so many today, Brother Don. That was what was wrong at Laodicea, you remember? You got a form. You got the form of godliness, but you don't have the breath. You don't have the power. You don't have the anointing. You don't have the spirit. You got the form. You look good on the outside. Everything seems pretty and everything seems nice, but you've got a form of godliness and you deny the power of God. Oh, God, don't ever let us get like that because it's not by power nor by might but by my ooh saith the Lord. No breath in them. And then said God to me, 
Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the wind, thus saith the Lord. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded. When I said wind, all you winds of the earth, God has said you're supposed to come down here and get into these bodies that's lying here. Used to be bones, but now we got flesh upon the bones. We got sinews on the bone, but there's no breath in them. So God said, prophesy to the wind. Let's get some air in motion. Let's get some activity in nature. And let nature correspond, glory, with the spiritual will of Almighty God. Say to the wind, say to those four winds to come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these. So I, I told the wind that. I told the four winds. And the breath came unto them. And they lived. And they stood upon their feet. An exceeding great army. And then God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. And we're cut off from our parts. All of our hope is lost. And we're cut off. We're abandoned. We're left with nothing. We've been stripped of everything. And we have no hope to go on. I want to tell you, that's a situation when God moves by his power and his spirit. Therefore prophesy unto them, saith the Lord. You've prophesied to bones. You've prophesied to flesh. You've prophesied to the wind. Now prophesy to my people. Prophesy unto them, son of man. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Prophesy to them. Thus says the Lord, Behold, Oh, my people, I will open your graves. I will cause you to come up out of your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O oh my people, and brought you up out of your graves. What did God tell him to preach? God said, I want you to preach and tell them that there's going to be a wonderful resurrection. There's going to be a, a day when all things will be made right. There's coming a day, and it's going to be a day of glad reunion. There's coming a day when the graves are going to open and people are going to get up out of those graves. God said, I've got in my future a day for my people. I have appointed a day for my people. So, hey, whatever's bugging you, whatever's tearing you down, just say, hey, God, I'm looking forward to the day. Well, Brother Jerry, I've got a lot of pain. Listen, he said, and there shall be no more pain. Well, I got a lot of tears, Brother Jerry. And God himself shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Well, I've got a lot of, lot of depression. And God said, and they shall sorrow no more. Oh, Lord, God. 
Well, I'm feeling like shouting a little bit now. Y'all, y'all going to mess around and get me to be Pentecostal now. My blessed Lord, you mean I need to prophesy and tell my situation? It's not always going to be that way. You may have the upper hand now, and I may have to bear with you. I may have to go through some things that I don't like. I may have to deal with some situations that are not to my liking. But thanks be to God, there's coming a day. It's not always going to be like this. There's coming a day that God has appointed and God has prepared when we're going to get up out of those graves. We're going to live with him. We're going to rejoice. We're going to sit with him in heavenly places. God has fixed everything if we can just endure. Because it's too early to tell. Because this story has a, a good ending. Stand with me, please. Connor, I don't think you know this song, so you might ought to let me just do it a cappella. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. Though flames devour or waves overflow, I feel like traveling on. Yes, I feel like traveling on. I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. The Lord has been so good to me. I feel like traveling on until that blessed home I see. I feel like traveling on. Well, I feel like traveling on. I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. The reason I feel like traveling on is that God hath breathed upon us. Breathed upon us. That we're his people. And I want to tell you, folks, we're too close to the end right now for us to consider any other option. You know what commitment is? It means no other option. Commitment. Are you committed to God this morning? Lord, I'm committed to making it to that day that Pastor told us about. Lord, I'm committed today. I'm committed to, no, I don't understand that everything going on in my life. Yes, I'm frustrated at times. Yes, I struggle sometimes. Sometimes, Lord, I have doubt and, and fear, and I know that's against your will, and you don't want me to be that way. But sometimes, Lord, I confess I wrestle with those things. But God, my commitment is the same as it's always been. I'll not turn back. I'll never turn around. I'll never have another option. My only option, God, is to go your way and to be your child and see your face. 
That's my only, only option. Oh, blessed be God. Preacher, you're too old-fashioned to sing, I feel like traveling on. Well, you take that any way you want to. I'm just telling you, I'm committed to the end. To the end. When you roll me down that aisle right there and park me right there, and whoever's going to say whatever about me, when you say it, the one thing you've got to know, I'm going to make it to that day and I'm going to see my Lord and I'm going to get to the end of this journey. I didn't start to turn around, didn't start to quit. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. One of the last things I said to Finchie, I said, if when you get up there, I don't know, they say you got your ears all, all the way. She heard what you're saying, they said. I said, when you get there, Finchie, if you find my mom and dad, tell them I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. If you see Barbara up there somewhere, tell her, Pastor sent you a message, said to tell you he's on his way. If you find Ken Goodwin up there somewhere, tell Ken, Ken, last thing Pastor told me was to tell you he's on his way. I'm going to make it. He's already said that I would. I'm going to make it. Because he's working everything for my good. And he walks beside me. Glory to God. He walks beside me. And heaven is in my view. Yes, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. All the way through. I'm going. Are you going? 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 Oh, glory to God. I'm going. Thank you, God, this morning for your spirit. Thank you for the ooh-ah. Thank you for breathing upon us. Thank you for that occasion of the dry bone experience. Let's us know, God, that your breath can breathe life into dryness and deadness. Lord, would you just go with us now from this place? And help us to live, oh Lord, back out in the world. We came here out of the world. We go back out there into the world. But God, you said you'd go with us and you are with us. And as we go out these doors to be light and salt in our community, in our world, I pray, oh Lord, that that determination to make it to heaven, no matter what, would help energize us to be people of destiny and people of potential for the cause of the Lord Jesus. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.